Welcome to Coffee and Conservation, hosted by Dr. Beth Baker, Assistant Extension Professor in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture at Mississippi State University. From water and soil to habitat and food production, Dr. Baker and her guests discuss the necessity and complexity of conservation in the U.S. All right, welcome back to another edition of Coffee and Conservation. As we continue to roll through season two here, uh, we're gonna catch up with an old friend who was on season one, Dr. Billy Kingery is back with us. He is a professor in the Department of Plant and Soil Science here at Mississippi State University. And today we are gonna discuss a little topic that we titled, Let's Get Physical, Simple Strategies to Prevent Soil Loss. And, you know, this, I think this topic is going to be great, and it sounds somewhat general to uh, soil conservation, but really, with all the information and new technology that's out there uh, related to farm, farm um, systems and agronomic production systems in terms of new seed technologies, new equipment, um, all the different crop protections that are out there it is great to have and come back to these simple and effective ways for landowners and producers to protect their land investments and to incorporate these best management practices that can provide support to their production systems. And a little term we learned, or I learned just recently uh, in terms of soil security, you know, there's a lot of different ways we can talk about protecting the soil investment. Um, but one I heard recently is soil security. So. Uh, don't get caught up in the terms, though. Uh, we've got we've got a little bit to discuss today, but we're hoping that in the end, these ten basic strategies uh, will be something that's usable to any landowner. Um, and so let's dive right in, because we don't really want to hold you in suspense. But the idea is that these are going to um, not only support the farm system and the land investment, but protect. Um, or decrease some environmental impact. So it kind of hits that win-win sweet spot. So as we get rolling, uh, Dr. Kingery, welcome back. Thank you and, very much. Yes, will you, will you just recap quick some of your experiences in the soil realm for our listeners so they have an idea of, of the perspective you're bringing to this conversation since you have a career in the field of soil, soil science where you know I'm, I'm in the conservation realm, but I, I'm not a soil scientist, so will you give them a little bit of your background and your experience in that in that area? Sure, sure. And uh, I probably push back a little bit. I think you're uh, you're right there with us in, in soil science, definitely, Beth. Um, but I'm in the Department of Plant and Soil Sciences, happily, um, and I'm in my I don't know, 26th, 27th year, something like that. And um, I started off uh, with a focus in soils uh, on uh, one aspect of it, uh, soil organic matter. Uh, we did a lot of work there and then uh, we expanded out from that to look at uh, uh, the role of soils in watershed level processes, uh, hydrology of watershed, um, some things connected to water quality, particularly along the coast in the Bay St. Louis watershed. We did uh, a lot of work with uh, civil engineering um, uh, in that capacity. And then more recently, um, we've moved over and focused on the microbial ecology of soil. 
And so let me just say in terms of my career, um, my first interest is agronomy, uh, crop production and soil management. And, and within that, my primary focus is the soil uh, component using soil science principles to, to look at that aspect of agronomy. And then our primary tool now is looking at the biological component of it. And so what we use are the tools and techniques and principles of microbial ecology as it fits within soils are very complex and interesting and we hope very productive area in terms of uh, uh, information and, and, and understanding that then feeds back into and enhances ult our ultimate aim, which is the sustainability of farming systems. So I guess that's the way that I would, I would describe uh, where I've been and where we are now. Perfect, thank you. Um, and that, that perspective and that experience, especially as you mentioned in the watershed, um, watershed realms of, of soil science fit right into what we're talking about today as we get into the physical aspects of soil loss. You know, when we think about erosion, it's a natural process, right? This is gonna happen across all landscapes. But when we look at, at uh, the picture of soil erosion and soil loss on a global scale, uh, the research points at water erosion as being the primary uh, type of degradation that we see across the globe with wind erosion um, having a smaller percentage but the, the second biggest piece of the pie there um, and then some chemical degradation and physical degradation also contributing to the, the global picture um, of soil loss so couching um, our discussion in that framework, you know, we do not want to lose sight of some of the basic land management that we can do in our farm landscapes to protect the soil resource. Um, based on your years of experience uh, in soil conservation, you know, have you ever visited a farm or experimental plot where physical soil loss was not an issue? Not. Uh, and, and, and that's because it is, well, let me, let me, uh, let me correct that, uh, under, under, uh, certain practices, no, but I have seen where there are farmers, um, where this is a priority for them. Um, and, uh, the, uh, the management that they've implemented uh, has just been nothing short of incredible. And I've learned a lot from these people. And there, there are far Mississippi farmers who I, I can tell you for, for certain were paying attention to this uh, long ago and implemented, and implemented practices on their farm. Some of them, they, they developed themselves. Some came from the advice of, of technical information providers like NRCS and so forth like that. But uh, I have definitely seen some examples where they've made things work and, and maintained uh, productivity as well. Um, under certain practices, uh, given our uh, conditions in Mississippi, you'll almost always uh, see where there are problems in soil loss and so forth, uh, because it's such a, it's such a difficult uh, problem really to, to manage. Yeah, thank you for, thank you for that perspective. And I think you know, where I was going with that question was to highlight that it is soil erosion, soil loss 
is somewhat of a routine battle for most landowners and landowner, and it certainly here in the southeast where we experience a large amount of rainfall on, on an annual basis. And when that rain falls, it falls with usually a high intensity in many cases, which kind of exacerbates this uh, process of soil erosion. You know, if you're in an area that has less rainfall and it falls at a lower intensity, the, the speed at which, um, or the scale at which that erosion is gonna take place would be less lesser than in, in an area like this. Yeah, you've said it very well. In other words, uh, a comment you made earlier that landscapes do erode. It is a natural process. So if we if we wanted to be precise, we would say what we're concerned about is accelerated erosion uh, because of uh, land, you know, that that uh, come about because of some land management practices and so forth like that, where basically the soil is is uh, is not covered by vegetation and um, I, I agree with you in the use of the term speed. And, and in this case, you know, there was that old saying, uh, whether it was automobile safety or other kinds of thing that speed kills. And, and in terms of uh, going back to the title of your podcast, uh, Let's Get Physical, that's the heart of the physics that goes on here. And so um, I think farmers are actually extremely good applied physicist. Um, they may not know the equations. I don't know all of the equations, certainly. Um, but they see the principles of, of physics. And so when I talk about speed, the, the, the places where it comes in, and you mentioned intensity. Um, uh, and so the rate at which we receive rainfall, and, and the evidence is there is that our rainfall patterns are changing. Um, Recently, we've seen that we've had much greater rainfall amounts than we've had over the, over the recent past. But a longer term uh, picture of, the, uh, of, of evidence uh, provided by the evidence of rainfall is that while the amounts may not have changed if we look over, say, the past uh, changes over the past 30 years in rainfall patterns, uh, the overall amounts of rainfall may have been fairly consistent with the exceptions of the recent past, the nature of the storms has changed. And particularly the uh, most intense rainfall events, the most intense rainfall events are becoming more intense. And that's certainly something not under the farmer's control. So uh, the erosive energy is, has changed. And that makes it that makes it more difficult. So that's one place where uh, the rate or speed comes into place because kind of the simple equation. I don't like to do this, but it's easy to do. Is force is what we're interested in. The force of the raindrops hitting a bare soil, or the force of the water moving downhill that has erosive um, potential. And so the force equals mass times acceleration. Acceleration has just velocity in there. Velocity is just speed. So everything is, is, about, is about reducing the speed. Well, we can't do much about the rainfall intensity, the speed there, but the water moving down slope, and if water moves off a field, it's moving down a slope. Whether we have what appears to be fairly level landscapes or very steep landscape, it's moving off. So it's moving in response to a slope. And so most of the effort then goes to slowing that down. 
So kind of the, the basic ways that you do do that. So the, the other component of that, excuse me, let me go back, is mass. So even if you don't have a lot of speed, if you have a lot of mass, a lot of water moving downhill, then you get the erosive power. So the easiest way to look at that is what is the depth of the water that can start to move off a particular area and then then start to erode and those that's kind of the basic physics so so what can we do to reduce that speed and so generally as you're indicating they fall under two broad categories uh, there are the structural practices and i know you're going to get into those sorts of things and then the agronomic practices the soil and crop management that go into it yes Awesome. I love, I love that you mixed in a short uh, physics lesson for us all that we needed it. And it does, it, it does simplify what we're talking about, about. It doesn't have to be as complex as all of the activities happening on a landscape, whether a, a, a landowner has a certain type of production or has recreational opportunities on their land that despite how the land is used, what happens with the soil comes down to basic physics. Um, and so incorporating some of these management practices, as you mentioned, can be a way to um, meet any changes in the soil physics uh, and to hopefully prevent that erosion and protect the soil investment, the land investment for a landowner. Um, and as you mentioned with potential changes in rainfall patterns, um, this may be even more important. And it's so despite how production systems change, protecting the soil resource is always going to be important and it might actually be more important as what weather and rainfall patterns um, change. Before we jump into these practices real quick um, and what is nice about <laughs> discussing um, soil loss as, a, as opposed to some other aspects of the soil is that usually you can see soil loss if you're looking for it. And so before we jump into the practices, how might a landowner visually diagnose some of these issues. And I will preface this to say, um, you know, often if you look at a landscape and you're looking for these issues, you can see them, but sometimes soil loss and, and uh, erosion becomes so commonplace that we just overlook it in a, in a farm landscape as, as not an immediate problem. So discuss first how you might diagnose an area uh, that could benefit from some conservation practices um, and why it might be important to not wait to address an erosion issue. Well, uh, as I mentioned at the top, um, my first interest is, is agronomy. So um, the end game of that is crop production and so one of the things that, that I, I believe is a, is a little bit tricky to, um, to get a hold of is, is when you look, and I think it's a very good framework that, the, uh, that NRCS has where they, they look at estimations of uh, soil loss based on characteristics of the landscape, uh, um, uh, control practices, cropping practices, and so forth like that. But then that is matched against a, uh, a factor that refers to what level 
of soil loss can be tolerated, a soil loss tolerance. And one of the, one of the things um, uh, that's, that's kind of hard to look at and know to manage, in my, in my opinion, um, is sort of the time frame over which these things are operative. When we look at soil loss tolerance, it's put in terms of, say, the number of tons of acre of soil, uh, uh, tons of soil per acre that's lost on a yearly basis, on an annual basis. But in terms of, of, of the losses in, uh, to productivity, the degradation of, of soil productivity that, that results is from that loss, that tends to be a much longer scale as a cumulative effect. Um, I've seen reported in the literature uh, numbers like 25 to 50 years. So that effect in terms of productivity is extended over, uh, according to that uh, that literature is over a longer period when producers and landowners uh, are thinking about and looking at short-term practices and how that fits into a farming system and what that represents in terms of trade-offs or added risks um, in terms of productivity on a, on a short term. Um, so that's sort of, the, I guess that's where I would begin in thinking about some of these practices and, and what, they, what they mean. And you had mentioned um, at the outset, uh, wanting to, you know, about the importance of looking at trade-offs in these practices. And I guess that's, that's sort of the first place that I would, I would look is sort of how to, uh, the difficulty in my mind, based on my understanding of the literature and so forth, uh, uh, these concepts in terms of scope of time and, and when the effects take place. So without going, without, without dancing around it anymore, I want to go ahead and, and put out, you know, these 10 strategies that we put, that, that I've put together and if we want to touch on any of them in more depth, we can, but basically I've put them into three categories um, in field strategies, uh, things that, things that can take place in the field, and we've got five of those, and then some strategies at the edge of field, and then a couple of even further, what I would term downstream strategies for landowners to implement. And so these first six uh, in the field include uh, reducing tillage or conservation tillage. The second one, it would be um, adding a fallow season vegetation to improve and build soil structure. Uh, something like a cover crop rather than leaving the soil um, bare throughout the winter season here in the southeast we also that that fallow season overlaps with the time where we do receive um, a fair amount of rainfall so other, that's one other reason why that might be um, important to farmers in the southeast number three is keeping vegetation on the landscape year-round, again, to dampen those rainfall forces or forces even from irrigation and, and the subsequent runoff impacts. Number four is optimizing grade or land leveling, as other people call it, which is a, a strategy to reduce the slope of the landscape um, and hopefully then reduce the potential for gully erosion, gully erosion that might occur in more sloped farming landscapes. 
and number five, which somewhat integrates with some of the other ones above, would be improving the infiltration of the soil so that you've actually got some of that mass you discussed, hopefully moving down through the soil profile and, and, and relieving the overall mass on top of the landscape that would then move off and could contribute to um, soil erosion. So those are the first five bean field strategies. Anything you want to expand on or touch on as I went through that list? Um, maybe uh, one of the things, um, a principle is, is to take those things that you have and consider them at the, I'll call it the landscape level or whole farm level, whichever one works. And, and to think about those in relation of focusing on uh, the, the most problematic areas in the field. And this goes back to um, my mass times acceleration of things. Where, where the water is concentrating, the water is faster and deeper. So kind of, kind of going along with that, that physical relationship is simply a depth of water. The more depth of water means the more mass of water you have, the more weight of the water, if you like. And where it's concentrating is giving you an indication where slope is coming in and speeding up that water. So that, whereas you could have uh, uh, overland or, or sheet erosion that happens, the real, in, the real problem areas occur where water is, is concentrating. And that's where that erosive power um, is really is really manifesting itself most intensely. So um, the other principle along with that is to match that up with whatever you know about uh, the um, uh, most critical periods, uh, the time of year and the, the the cover as it relates to where we're getting these most you know likely to get these most intense storms, the high energy storms. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you I'm glad you touched on those points because they give us an opportunity to quickly go ahead and take these strategies that we're presenting and even even overlap them in a more practical way because pretty much everything we've laid out here is an NRCS conservation practice that may be subsequent depending on the landowner's eligibility for not only technical assistance from the agency, but potentially for financial assistance as well. And the way that NRCS, the Natural Resources Conservation Service, an arm of the USDA, um, supports landowners in utilizing these best management practices are through um, that technical assistance and financial assistance and the process that a landowner goes through is to identify resource, resource concerns on their farm. And then, you know, with the available resources to them, identify those critical areas of where to start. And so I'm so glad you brought that up because it, it is a practical approach to implementing conservation that if you, can't, if you can't do these things across the whole farm, identify the critical areas of where to address concerns first and put resources there um, so that really, you know, areas where there's a very uh, concerning gully erosion or where you might actually lose like a whole chunk of land to it falling into a drainage ditch. You want to address the critical concerns 
first. And I, I do think that makes this information even more practical and usable when we put it into that framework um, of how landowners might actually utilize these practices on the ground. Do you think that's an accurate way to frame? Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. okay. okay, cool. So those were the first five. Um, first five practices. So let's move to the edge of field and talk a little bit more about what can be done um, outside of the initial field. And those would include uh, potential armoring, like using riprap to armor different um, drainage, uh, drainage banks or drainage ditch banks, or adding vegetation to those banks to prevent erosion. Um, Number seven would be adding grade stabilization structures to um, areas, kind of what we call, I don't even want to use the word first order stream because of when they're still in the field or right at the edge of field, it's almost, I guess it would still be a first order stream, but those drainage areas to um, stabilize the grade and the slope in, in those instances. And number eight, utilizing a suite of different smart water, smart drainage water management, which can be all kinds of things on a farm landscape, whether it's uh, the inclusion of some of that land leveling with uh, conveyance structures like pipes, piping into different uh, drainage ditches or tailwater recovery systems. But in, the, in, in Mississippi where we aim to um, manage runoff on farms, NRCS kind of calls those suite of practices um, drainage water management or irrigation water management or tailwater recovery systems in some cases. They have a few different language, a few different terms for a suite of those practices to manage water leaving the farm landscape um, in, a, in a smart way. So that's what I've got for the edge of field. So the six was armoring or vegetation to prevent erosion, seven adding the grade stabilization structures, eight, smart drainage water management. Any thoughts from your end on those? Oh, I, think, uh, I think you covered those very well, Beth. Okay. Okay, and so then the last two are downstream, um, are downstream practices are a little bit larger structurally. So they're inherently might take more land out of production, uh, might cost a little more, uh, and are just in, in actual size, large, large <laughs> in terms of being on the landscape. So number nine um, is a sediment basin, and number 10 is a tailwater recovery system. And that tailwater recovery system is, is a system that, as I mentioned earlier, and it incorporates some of the drainage water management, um, conveys all the drainage water, whether from irrigation or rainfall, into a recapturing system that allows sediment uh, or nutrients to set, settle out or be removed through biological processes. Um, and then also allows for the potential for it to be reused on the landscape for irrigation. Again, takes more land out of production, would cost more to put, put in because it is such a large structure. So we've covered them. They're out there for you to use. NRCS supports all of these. And you know, the last thing that I would wanna touch on before we wrap up and, and, um, and kind of close, close the book on some of, 
some of the soil loss discussion is to touch on any other trade-offs we might have left out of this discussion um, and where logically a landowner might start implementing these since we did did talk about 10 different ones. Any other thoughts from you on trade-offs, Dr. Kingery, or where to start with these strategies? I kind of fit in there. Uh, something that comes to my mind um, has to do with um, uh, under, under the general heading of soil compaction. Okay? And so um, soil compaction certainly from a crop production standpoint is, uh, is, is, a, is a, 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 a terrible factor um, as far as detriment. And also uh, we, we have abundant evidence that where you have soil compaction you reduce infiltration and so forth. And for, so for a given rainfall intensity, if you've reduced infiltration, you're contributing to more water and runoff because it's not going into the soil and so forth. So maybe the best way to, to think about trade-offs in that sense in terms of soil compaction is with clay soils. And so one of the things we know about, about clay soils is they can compact and they can, they can harden, particularly if they are worked uh, in any kind of way when they're wet. And so uh, quantitatively or in terms of physics, uh, this, is, this is captured in the concept of what's called plasticity or plastic limit. So if you think about a clay, just think about modeling clay if you want. And when it's, when it's uh, uh, moist enough, you can shape it and you can mold it, okay? And so uh, when, it, when it, you know that you can add enough water to it that it can, can exceed a plastic limit and it, could, it, it can uh, flow like a mud would move. It's, it, it moves as a fluid, a very thick, viscous fluid. So, but there are times when a farmer, because of the timing of operations, may have to work a field when it's, uh, when it's too wet. And when they do that, it, the, the soil compresses, it smears, it can be pushed or shaped into these large aggregates that when they dry, they harden. And they're very, very difficult. And so those kinds of soils are better in terms of avoiding those sorts of compaction type issues on a clay soil when they're better drained, okay? One of the trade-offs then is if you improve drainage or if, if you slow down the speed, the loss or the slow down the runoff speed, are you then leading to conditions where the soil is not as well drained? And so that can be a concern of farmers and it can show up again if you've got uh, um, any kind of grass filter or buffer strips or rather any, anything that slows down the water, keeps the water on the field, which benefits or mitigates against soil loss, but it, it may work against situations where you need better drainage and well. So it's just the challenge of, of the systems, I think, and to, to see where they're, they're, this, these kinds of things um, uh, need to be balanced, but they can be, they can be difficult to do because superimposed on this is those critical timing of farming operations. 
farmers don't have all summer that are, are to be able to wait until they get dry enough conditions to plant, for example, and so forth. So they're constrained by strict, um, uh, strict time factors in terms of crop production and so forth. And, and, and getting that optimum alignment to soil management is, is, some, is, is clearly sometimes beyond a person's control. Uh, I, I like what you brought up there, that there are considerations at the farm level and at the field level for which of these practices might be suitable and some alternatives um, to consider in, in light of um, some of the conditions farmers can't control. That'd be fair to say. Yeah. And again, also not a also not an agronomist, but I am well aware that planting data is a very important factor in end of season yield production. And so any any of these practices that constrain the ability of a farmer to prepare the field for planting and get into plant is not going to be as agronomically advantageous for them. And so it has to be thought of in terms of these these trade offs. Um, Awesome. I think I think that component uh, of our discussion here at the end adds a lot of value to a landowner in terms of how to consider these different conservation practices and how to utilize them in a in a fashion that serves their production system and doesn't hurt their production system. Um, anything else you want to add? Well, I would just just uh, reemphasize that last point is is from you know going back to saying my interest in agronomy is uh, we um, absolutely recognize uh, the offsite implication of of sedimentation and so forth like that which is tremendously important to water resources uh, among the first uses of which are for agriculture uh, um, um, but uh, as I've tried to indicate before uh, a basic aim of soil conservation is to maintain and sustain productivity of our land. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, you know, the, I think that's exactly the message we want to be able to convey to our uh, landowners throughout the Southeast that that is still a primary goal. That's the, that's what we want. The information that's coming out of podcasts like this to support ultimately um, with a heavy dose, with a heavy dose of science and practicality, and um, you know, general trade-offs built into the information. So hopefully, you found it usable. You know, Billy, we're always happy to have you on. Thank you. As always, you can find more information on our website or in the show notes after the show. And we always want to acknowledge and thank our primary sponsor, the Mississippi Natural Resources Conservation Service, for their support of this podcast. Thanks for joining us for Coffee and Conservation. To find out more about the topics discussed, visit the REACH website at reach.msstate.edu or the Mississippi State University Extension Service website at extension.msstate.edu.